we mentioned it on Sunday, but uh, again, thanks to uh, Brother Donald for ministering uh, last Wednesday. That sermon is uh, online if you'd like to access that. Um, he said some really good stuff um, that uh, I certainly enjoyed. And as I mentioned too on Sunday morning, uh, Pam and I watched the live stream with Mom and Dad down at their house. Um, and uh, I was... I was like glad to know, to know y'all. I mean, I was like, that's that's good stuff, you know. Not ashamed to to to, to call y'all my brothers and sisters. So it was uh, it was really good, really really good. And so we're we're thankful for sure, thankful for sure. Amen. So we're going to continue tonight um, our study. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. We said the opposite of understanding is either ignorance or confusion. And we know that God's not the author of confusion. And, of course, we know that he says in the Word that his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That would be ignorance. But, but destroyed for lack of knowledge not because there's no knowledge available, but if you keep reading there in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, it, we see that, that knowledge was made available to them by God, but they rejected it. They rejected the knowledge. So faith will flourish in an understanding heart. We know that the enemy is the one who wants us to either be ignorant or confused. This is why he comes to steal the word, because the, the word of God is how we find and, and, and learn. The Holy Spirit and the, the Holy Word of God is how we receive understanding from God. And this, of course, is why the enemy wants to try to steal that word um, from us. Now, we found a case study in the Scriptures um, and it's the centurion. So let's, let's, um, let's read this account in uh, Matthew, the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, um, saying Lord, uh, my servant is at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And so we see that this centurion displayed um, a level of faith that um, amazed Jesus, that you know Jesus pointed out as being the greatest example of faith that he had seen in all of Israel. And, and if we look closely, we see that there were things that this man understood that enabled the measure of faith that's been given to every person to flourish in his heart. And then we see in verse 13... When Jesus said to the centurion, then Jesus rather said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, the one thing, a lot of things stood out to me, but, but when the Holy Spirit led us to this passage some weeks ago, one of the first things that stood out to me is that Jesus is, is saying, As you have believed. Jesus is talking about this man's faith. But the centurion never mentions faith. And it's what we're seeing is faith operating in this man's life um, in, in a seamless way. Um, and, and again, that's, that's what understanding does to faith. It, 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 it causes us to operate in faith when, 
how do I say this? Faith is certainly a deliberate, intentional act. We exercise faith. So don't misunderstand me when I say this. But, you know, I would imagine this centurion was as amazed by Jesus saying his was the greatest faith he had seen as Jesus was amazed by the man's faith. I mean, I'm sure he's going like, well, faith? What are you talking about faith? Believe? What are, you, what are you talking about believe, you know? In other words, this is just understanding made it how it, how it was to him. Um, and and, and he, he, he recognized Jesus as being under authority. The things that he understood about authority um, translated over into the authority that Jesus obviously had. His ability to speak the word um, was similar to when he gives a soldier a command um, or he's given a command by a superior. And so it was, um, I'm offering to you then that it was the understanding in this man's heart that enabled or caused his heart, uh, the faith rather in his heart to flourish. Now, we got a list of stuff and we hadn't gotten very far into this list. So we're going to make some progress tonight. But let's quickly, since we weren't here last week, um, let's talk about, just review real quick the things that this centurion understood um, that uh, perhaps others may could learn from. How about let's say it that way, okay? Uh, well, the first things um, that the centurion, it seemed logical to him that Jesus would do for his servant what he had freely done for many others. This was, I think, a connection that he made quickly. Um, you know, Jesus was healing all kinds of people. And so if he will heal all kinds of people, uh, then he had no trouble believing um, that Jesus would do for his servant what he had done for other people. Now, this may sound like a very you know, simple, low-hanging fruit, no-brainer thing, but think about how many folks who, in our day and age, do not understand healing that same way. In other words, they will acknowledge that Jesus has done it for other people, but their understanding is you know, what he did for somebody else he may or may not do for others. But that was clearly not the way the centurion understood it. Number two. The centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone. That Jesus was um, under the authority of a king and a kingdom um, and, and that he was not doing what he was doing of his own accord. Number three, the centurion understood the king and kingdom Jesus represented wanted people healed and had the power to carry it out. He understood that. And again, if you, if you kind of think about this man's background in the Roman Empire and in their day and age, as far as an earthly king and kingdom was concerned, Caesar and Rome um, pretty much ruled um, the world. Um, number four, the centurion understood the authority Jesus the centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave him authority over sickness and disease. In the same way, a soldier obeyed the command of the centurion, sickness, disease, devils, and demons obeyed the word of Jesus. Number five, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would not obey a superior because he recognized that Jesus was superior to sickness and to um, devils and demons. It was inconceivable to him that if Jesus told them to do something, um, that they would not obey him. Number six, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would delay obedience to a superior. That somehow, um, and I'm going to be honest with y'all, this, this point right here has been one that I have, I, I just, I was even praying about it some yesterday and, um, let's see, what was yesterday, Monday and Tuesday this week, um, I was listening to uh, some teaching by Brother Keith Moore back from 2001 and, and he was talking about faith and, and patience and how important patience is with our faith. And I obviously agree with everything he's saying. 
Um, but I'm going to stand by this. You know, this man understood that that healing was immediate. Um, now there are other people. There's a there's a. Um, this is one of the I think the best answers the Lord reminded me of just in me. You know, wanting to know all of this and wanting this to be confirmed. Um, he keeps bringing me back to be it unto you according to your faith. Okay, so um, does God heal people progressively? In other words. Um, can you believe to be a little better tomorrow than you are today and a little better the day after that than you are today and God be involved in that and expedite recovery and healing in your body? Absolutely, positively, I've, I've experienced it in my own life. I've witnessed it in the lives of other people. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to discount that or, or move that uh, aside or, or pretend like God doesn't work that way or something along those lines. But I think it comes back to if our understanding is the only way God heals is progressive or the only way God heals through a doctor, and by the way, I believe that God uses doctors. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. My son works with doctors and, and, and helping people. A whole lot of people come through uh, the surgery unit where he works and, and leaves there better, okay? I believe God ordained and hand-selected a doctor for my dad, um, and, and she's one of the best in the world at, wh- at what she does. Um, and, and she used God, she was used by God, um, you know, to, to help my dad. Now, obviously a week later, um, he's no pain, feeling great, supernatural recovery. And so I'm not trying to say God doesn't do that. He, he clearly and obviously does. But, but if, if our faith is the only way God heals is through a doctor or through medicine or through a progressive work, that, then that would be our understanding of this. And, and so faith is going to try to work with the understanding, if it can, that you have, right? But I showed you 20-some-odd places in the Bible where people were healed immediately. And I think, at least for this centurion, you know, Jesus is wanting to go to his house and heal this man, and he's like, that's not necessary. If you say the word, it will happen immediately. This, this man was on his deathbed. If, if it was going to be a progressive work, he may not live long enough for it to happen, right? Okay. I feel better about saying all that, okay? Now, number seven. This is where we left off week before last. The centurion understood he was not deserving, but unlike many others, he also understood that was not a factor. He understood that he didn't deserve. He understood that he wasn't worthy. He understood, um, whether he understood the biblical aspect of it or not, the Bible even says that Jesus was sent first to the household of Israel. This man wasn't a Jew. This man was a Roman centurion. Jesus wasn't even technically, biblically, so to speak, sent to, 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 to heal him, much less one of his servants. Okay? So this man was not worthy, not deserving. What a worldly term we might use is he didn't qualify. But here's the thing about it, and, and, and I want to try to really give you the full picture of what's in my heart and spirit about this is he didn't qualify he knew that he didn't qualify and he also and this is the big one right here is he knew that it didn't matter that he didn't qualify he knew that that he didn't deserve it but he knew that he didn't have to deserve it for jesus to do what he ultimately did uh, for this man in this man's life 
So it's very easy for us to talk about what the centurion understood about authority and how that accelerated his faith and enabled his faith to flourish, okay? But I, I believe what he understood, um, you know, as far as this, this basic truth of, of it being, you know, uh, grace. Again, I don't know if this man understood the meaning of the word grace, which is an undeserved gift. Um, I believe that, that this truth, it, you have to look closer to see it, but I believe it's as important to this man's faith, if, if not more so than what he understood about authority. So let me, let me just kind of go through some of these right quick, all right? Understanding he did not deserve healing from Jesus played right into the centurion's faith, Okay? Understanding that he did not deserve healing from Jesus played right into his faith. Why is that? Because a works-based understanding is like a wet blanket to the flames of faith. Okay? Now, I'm going to just put some simple words on the screen, all right? For those of you who are listening to the podcast, um, the words say faith and grace or work and earn. And that's a hard O-R. That's a hard or, okay? Um, it's not both and. It's, it's either or. You, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. If it's, if it's grace, something you don't deserve, then it has to be received by faith. Faith and grace work together, go together in the same way working and earning go together. So you don't earn anything by faith. See, I think that's, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to bash anybody that uses this example. I, I probably have many years ago, but I, I, it's been a decade or more since I've used the expression that faith is currency, that faith is currency. And the idea is that somehow we use faith to barter with God and, and, and pay for, so that's why I don't like it. it, it you can't, you, if it's grace, it can't be bought. If it's grace, if it's something that, that is unearned, undeserved, unmerited, it's just something God does out of the goodness of His heart, um, the idea that you can somehow earn it, somehow pay for it, somehow compensate God for it, somehow make some kind of deal with Him or some kind of bargain with Him, it, it's, it's, if you really understand the depths of it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous, okay? It's, it's an insult. It's an insult for Jesus to have paid the price that he paid for us to be able to have what we are able to have now and for us to walk up with money, you know, uh, how about a 20-spot for some forgiveness here, Jesus? Are you kidding me? This can't be bought. This is priceless, it's precious and it's priceless. And it's, remember when, uh, I forget the guy's name, he wanted to try to buy the ability to lay his hands on people and then be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Simon, Simon the sorcerer. And, and Peter, Paul, one of those guys, I should have done my homework on this, they turn around and they look at him and they say, your money perish with you. Money can't buy this. You can't earn this. You, this, is, this is priceless. It's it's. It's, priceless isn't even the right word. 
know, they were showing this big old diamond on TV the other day that was priceless. I mean, that's priceless, but, you know, uh, uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates could probably pool their money and buy it, okay? We're talking about something that is so beyond priceless that it doesn't even exist on this earth. It had, it, it's the blood of Jesus that came from heaven. It, it's, it's without price. It can't be bought, but it's a gift freely given. And it is an, it is, it is an insult and it is arrogance on our part to think that we can do anything, say anything, give anything to somehow earn and put ourselves in a position to where God owes us some kind of blessing, some kind of benefit. I've said it over the years many times. I'll say it again this evening. He will not owe you anything, but He will freely give you everything. So this, this, this centurion recognized that he had done nothing to earn this. He had done nothing to deserve this. Now, if we were to look at another gospel account of this, we're going to find out that this centurion um, had a pretty big heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm not judging the man. I, I'm not judging his motives. Part of the way Rome ruled all the territory that they conquered, it was called the Pax Romana, the, the, the Roman peace. And, and they would put a velvet glove on an iron fist. And so if, if you've ever been curious about this why was there a Caesar and a Herod? <laughs> why, why was there a Pilate um, and a Caiaphas, a, a, a high priest? Okay. Well, it's because the, the Roman government would be the overarching government, but they would, to the best of their ability, leave an existing government in place of the land that they answered to. So God forbid it would be like another, uh, you know, nation conquering the United States and we would still have a Congress and a president, but our Congress and president would answer to them. So Herod answered to Pilate, all these, the high priest and the, and the, and the, the leaders of, 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 the, of, of Israel, the Jewish nation, although they had been conquered by Rome, Rome left them in place. Are you, are you seeing this? And then, of course, they put the centurions and all that in there, and, and, and they were there behind the scenes to keep the peace. Rome had conquered so much. I'm, I'm giving you a history lesson here, so just bear with me for a minute. Rome had conquered so much land, they couldn't govern it all. So this was the strategy on, on how to effectively govern it by kind of tricking the people into thinking that they were still governing themselves when they really weren't. Okay, And you found out that you really weren't when you decided to do something that the Roman government didn't want you to do and rebelled against them and they swiftly would put down that rebellion. And so remember like when Jesus is on trial, um, they're threatening Pilate. They're saying, look, um, Jesus has declared himself to be a king. And if you don't do something about it, we're going to tell Caesar that you're letting a man walk around here calling himself a king without correcting him, without disciplining him, right? So the, the pilots, the, the governors that were representing the Roman Empire, their main objective was to keep the peace. Whatever it took to keep the peace, um, because if it reflected poorly on them if there was all kinds of uprisings and this and that. And, and, and so 
what we know about this centurion is that he had actually built the people a synagogue. That would be like, not a temple, but like a local church in, 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 in Christian terminology. In Judaism, a, local, a synagogue would have been a local place of worship. So the centurion, again, they're evidently well paid or he came from wealth. I don't know how he got the money to do that. But he built the people a synagogue and some of the religious leaders were like trying to tell Jesus, listen, this man's been good to us. You need to go help him, you know. Um, because, you know, like in any situation, however this, you know, remember the good teachers in school and the, and the ones that you would rather not have any in your member of your family ever have again, right? Well, centurions were like that. Roman, you know, you've got the ones that are, that are kind and favorable and have a good heart. And you've got the hard heads, the hard noses that, you know, pull you over for doing 41 miles an hour on Brook Lane, okay? Amen. All right. You still with me? Praise God. All right. So I don't know why this man did it, but this man built these people a synagogue. And there were other religiously minded people who thought that that somehow qualified him for help. He didn't have that attitude at all. Matter of fact, we have a couple of different versions of how this story went down. You piece them all together, you kind of get the bigger picture. Jesus is actually on the way to this man's house after an initial group of people come and tell Jesus what he's done and all this other stuff. And the man comes and meets Jesus and is like, look, I don't know what these men have told you. Um, I am not worthy. I am not deserving. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This centurion had the authority to send a group of soldiers to apprehend Jesus and drag him to his house if he wanted to do that. But that's, notice that's not his heart. He's like, I don't know what they've told you, but I, I, I don't think you owe me anything. This isn't about that. Okay. This, this was his heart. This was his attitude. He's, he's <laughs> I'm not worthy. I, I'm, I'm not deserving. Um, I don't qualify for this. But this guy is really close to me, and he's, and he's very special and near and dear to my heart. And I believe that if you just speak a word, that you can help him. You see, see, this is faith. This, this isn't somebody trying to muster something up. This isn't somebody, listen, I'm not, exercise faith, confess faith, find out how faith works and work it. Learn from it, grow from it. That's not what's going on here. This is a man who's desperate. This is a man who has somebody very near and dear to his heart that I believe is, is probably young. I don't know this, but, but he's dying, and he knows he's dying. And no doctor can help him. If he's got enough money to build the Jewish people a synagogue, he's got enough money for the best medical care for his servant that, that money can buy. And, and evidently, that didn't help him. But Jesus can help him. Jesus can help him. I tell anybody to listen to me, humility is the master key to life. Humility will unlock things for you that no other key will unlock. Humility, see, again, we, we like to think of faith as the master key of life. Faith is important, but if, if you don't have humility in your heart, your faith will do nothing for you. See, faith won't flourish in a, in a prideful heart. It won't, it'll, it'll lock it down. So, faith and grace or work and earn. Remember, by grace through faith is how we are saved. Let me give you another one. We hadn't brought this up in a while. Father God didn't want to give us what we deserve. 
He wanted to give us what He desires for us to have. It's a huge difference between what you deserve and what He desires to do for you. What you deserve for Him to do to you. What, what we all deserve was to die young and be sent to a devil's hell. It's what every one of us deserved, right? But Father God loves us. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to get what we deserve. He wants to be able to legally to be a just God and a justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus where He can fairly bless you and reward you and do for you and give to you what He wants to, what He desires to bless you with, do for you and give to you. So this is why he took it completely out of the realm of working and earning and put it into the realm of faith and grace. The minute it becomes about you doing something to deserve it, it's not grace anymore. By definition, it's no longer grace. It's something you've earned. It's something that you're owed. It's something that you deserve. Now you're worthy of it because you've done something You've, you've proven your worth. And now it's a debt owed, not a gift given. Father doesn't... See, again, if we're going to insist on that, then we're going to get what we deserve. And it ain't healing. It's, are you hearing what I'm saying? It's, it's, if, if, man, the Lord has been just stirring some stuff in my heart. And I, I've, I've, I've been... I got a lot of notes on it. I don't know when we're going to get to all of it. But one of the things that he has just made, and I've mentioned a time or two already, but one of the things that he's just made abundantly clear to me is that he created us to live on a level we can't get to by ourselves. He created us to, to listen, you were never meant to have limits, okay? The only limit you were ever created and intended to have um, as far as your creator is concerned, is you're limited by what you can believe him for. That's the only limit. And remember, with him, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible to him who believes, okay? See, see you, you were created to accomplish things that you can't accomplish by yourself. You were created with potential that you can't tap into by yourself, you were created to experience and express emotions, right, that you can't generate on your own. You were created to know things that you don't have the capacity inside of yourself to learn. And you'll never know them unless he teaches them to you and reveals them to you. See what I'm saying? So we, we, were, we were created for so much more than what we can accomplish individually in our own efforts, Right? So one of the things that I've been confessing, one of the things that, and I just encourage you to do it, is I'm expecting more than I can produce today myself. I'm, I'm expecting more than what I can do with my good looks and my, my abilities and, and, and whatever else. So you know what I'm saying? Amen. See, we, we've gotten to a point, well, many people in life have gotten to a point where they don't even expect anymore what they can do. We should be expecting more than we can do. Mm. All right, let me try to land this plane, praise God. So, Jesus bought and paid for our salvation, and then freely, that's grace, offered it to us as a gift. It cannot be earned, it can only be received by faith. And we find this in Romans 4 and 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, 
so that the promise might be sure to everybody, so that everybody can get in on it, all right? It's promised to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the moment it becomes about deserving, it becomes about works, earning, and what you are owed. The minute it becomes about earning, we could say the second it becomes about earning or deserving, it ceases to be about grace. Now, there's a verse that we've looked at uh, frequently in James, and it's a real important verse, not just about faith and believing, but about the power of doubt. And the Bible says there in James that the man who doubts should not expect or to quote it to you, let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. We see this in connection with doubt, but I believe the same thing is true with pride. The man who doubts should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, and the, and the man with pride in his heart um, should also not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. And this is what, this is what the Lord showed me. I know it's pretty simple, but it, it, it's really stuck out to me. He told me that pride is to grace what doubt is to faith. Pride is to grace what doubt is to faith. See, what, is, what does doubt do to faith? It, it neutralizes it. it. It makes it inoperable. It makes it ineffective. It shuts it down. It locks it down. Okay, well, pride does the same thing to grace. Remember all those verses in Ephesians two where he's talking about our salvation. We're saved by faith, uh, by grace through through faith. That not of yourselves, Ephesians two eight nine. Lest what? Lest any man should boast. Lest any man should boast. See to hear to hear some people talk about it. You know, I found the Lord when I was this, and I found this, and I this, and I that. Man, let me tell you something. He found you. He found you. You hear most people talk about it. You'd think, you know, Jesus was just kind of like a, you know, uh, a co-star in, in, in this, you know. And, and they're, they're the hero of the story. No, 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 no. Not at all, right? So it's not of works. And it's not of works because it's of, it's, it's of works. It's not, a, it's not a gift. It's something you earned. It's something you deserved. And, and let me tell you something. If, if, if you've done enough and become enough and given enough, to earn this, then you got something to brag about. Because you know what the Bible says? You better not bring your bragging to God because he ain't going to listen to it. <laughs> Boast, but not before God, right? Because it's pride. So do you see this connection? Pride is to grace what doubt is to faith. The Word says our efforts to earn what has been freely given. Are you ready for this? frustrates you ever heard that expression that that scripture it frustrates now the new king james version translates frustrates and sets aside the grace of god let's look at this in galatians chapter 2 amen galatians chapter 2 and verse 21 thank you jesus thank you jesus galatians chapter 2 and verse 21 this is the King James Version. Paul says, I do... Now, he just got through saying, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, I live the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by my faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? Then he goes on to say, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, here he's talking about the... Uh, 
the, what our salvation produces. It produces us right before God in the eyes of God. It produces righteousness. It's, we could say it's the end result, if you will, of, of our salvation. But he's saying that if there was something he could have done to make himself righteous, then Jesus died for no reason. I said it this way in class earlier uh, this evening. If there was something that we could do to make ourselves righteous, then Jesus would have done what he had done since the Garden of Eden. He would have set up in heaven and he would have given us instructions on what to do. He would have told us how to do whatever needs to be done so that we could make ourselves right, save ourselves, if you will, um, and make ourselves right with God in the eyes of God. But there's nothing we could do. If there was something we could do to produce this result, then Jesus would not have had to come and pay the price that he paid. So Paul is recognizing this here, and he says to pretend like we can do it ourselves, which is pride, notice what it does. It frustrates, it frustrates the grace of God. So trying to earn what God freely gives frustrates the race of God, not just where righteousness is concerned, where anything to do with salvation, right, the whole man, spirit, soul, body, is concerned. So frustrate, guess what frustrate means? Let me put it up on the screen here. Frustrate means to prevent from succeeding, to prevent from progressing, to prevent from being fulfilled. So pride on our part this idea that there's something we can do to qualify, something we can do to earn, something we can do to deserve, something we can do that will make God owe us these things, right? What all, all we're accomplishing with that kind of understanding is we're frustrating the grace that God has already put in place to accomplish um, these things, perfect these things um, in our lives. Let's go back. I'm getting in a little bit too, too big of a hurry here. Let me slow down a minute, okay? So pride is to grace what doubt is to faith. Who gets the grace? The humble. The humble get the grace. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he does what to the prideful? He resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists. So think about frustration, Think, think, think about something you're trying to fix and it's, and it's frustrating to you. It's because it's not, it's not succeeding. It's not, it's, it's, um, uh, let's get back to the definition. It's not progressing. It's, it's not being fulfilled. Okay. So a lot of times we experience frustration in our emotions because there's understanding in our hearts that are frustrating the grace of God. We're frustrated because something's not happening, it's not working out, it's not what, what have you. Um, there's a difference between frustration and perseverance, okay? Um, but here we're seeing that when we think that there's something we've got to do to earn it or deserve it, it creates this situation where the grace of God is frustrated. Now, amen. Give me just a couple of minutes here. I want to give you this verse and a couple of more uh, translations. So the King James Ver- the New King James Version... Uh, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So if you set something aside, okay, it's like, um, it'd be like if you're working on something and somebody handed you a screwdriver and you're like, 
I don't need that. You set it aside. Okay? So to set something aside is to say, I don't need this. I'm going to do it this way. Or I'm going to... So he's saying these mindsets, these attitudes are in essence forging ahead in life as if the grace of God is not available to do these things for us. Okay? Now, the, um, the English Standard Version is really strong here. English Standard says, I do not nullify. Wow. I do not nullify the grace of God. Okay? And by the way, if you've ever, if you've ever read, like, when the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul talks about people falling from grace, okay, we use that as an expression of, you know, for someone who's backslidden or, or we often say, like, if a, if, you know, a television evangelist gets caught, you know, in some sinful situation, you know, that they fell from grace, okay? Well, you know, people point to that and try to say, see, you can lose your salvation. My friend, that's, that's not what he's talking about. Falling from grace means you've set aside the grace and you've gone back to, that's what the Galatians, remember he said, are you so foolish to think that you can um, finish in the flesh what you couldn't start apart from the Spirit? So to set aside the grace of God doesn't mean God move, removes his grace from your life. It's just, you know, you remember you got the inward reality, the outward expression. It's nullifying it as far as the outward expression is concerned, okay? Amplified gets a little wordy, but it drives it home. Galatians 2.21 from the Amplified, Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate, I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, unmerited favor of God, for if justification, righteousness, acquittal from guilt comes through observing the ritual of the law, then Christ the Messiah died groundlessly and to no purpose and in vain. His death was then wholly superfluous. Okay? Is that how you say that? Superfluous? 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 I'm just kidding. All right. Amen. So here, the Amplified gives us, you know, what we see as frustrating one and nullifying another and set aside. It gives us all of them. Set aside, invalidate, frustrate, and nullify. All right? Notice also he says to treat the grace of God this way is to defeat the very purpose God gave us grace. (laughs) Right? So when we come to it with this understanding that it's something we've got to earn, we defeat the very purpose of it being a free gift. All right, praise God. So righteousness and healing are both gifts received by faith. The context of these verses is our receiving righteousness by faith, but we receive healing um, the same way we receive righteousness. It's a gift. Amen? (sighs) Praise God. Is it raining too hard for you to go to your car? right now thank you Jesus I think I'm going to go a little further is that okay y'all all right okay all right so let me finish this up by saying there are two extremes to be aware of here the first extreme is the one that says I deserve it I've earned it I've been good enough, I've prayed enough, I've obeyed enough, I've given enough, okay? So to the one with this understanding, remember what the centurion said, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, I don't qualify, okay? So there are two extremes to be aware of. The first one is, 
I am worthy. I do deserve it. I have earned it. I have been good enough. I have prayed enough. I have obeyed enough. Okay, I have given enough. To the one with this understanding, that's how people understand things in their heart. To the one with this understanding, the healing, the miracle, the breakthrough would then be a debt God owes them. And that's pride. All right? Now, there's another extreme, though. There's another extreme. And the second extreme says something to this effect. Because I have been so bad, even God isn't good enough to be good to me. Even God isn't good enough to care for me. Even God isn't willing to help me. You see, you see the difference here. This is um, a different form of pride where we say and believe understand in our heart that we've gone too far for the grace of God to, to be able to help us. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Just let me keep pushing here for a minute, all right? This is, understand this loosely. Don't try to get to the letter on this, get to the spirit of this next statement, okay? Um, don't, all right. It's fine, Christy. I'm finishing, I promise, sister. You're awesome back there. Amen. I don't know if that's the weather-related or what, okay? But if you could see it, it would say this. Don't let your badness cause you to doubt His goodness. So we, we, go, we go back to um, where we were. This man knew that he didn't qualify, but he knew that it didn't matter. You can stand with me. I'll pray, all right? He knew that he had done things that he shouldn't have done. He knew that, you know, you don't have to know the Ten Commandments to know, you know, lying and murdering and sleeping with your neighbor's wife and all this other stuff is wrong and bad. Paul talked about this in in the book of Romans. People who don't know anything about the law of God have those things written in their hearts. In no culture in the history of humanity has it ever been right to abandon a brother on the battlefield. So I'm saying, so there are certain standards, there are certain morals, whatever you want to call them, that you know, as as Jiminy Cricket would say, your conscience, you know. But these are things that are that are hardwired into every person created image and likeness of God. And so this man, whether he knew the Ten Commandments or not, he knew that he hadn't done things that were holy and right, and 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 so forth and so on. But he, see, this is where again, so many people let their knowledge of being unworthy and undeserving create the question and the doubt in their heart. So one extreme is pride. I earned it. I deserved it. God, you owe me. The other one is questioning and doubt. Um, I've been so bad that even God's not good enough to do anything for me. Both are an insult and a understanding level that faith will not flourish in amen all right you get anything out of this tonight all right father we love you thank you for life and peace thank you for uh lord thank you for the rain it's been kind of dry the last several days so lord we need it you're blessing us with it and we thank you for it lord i thank you for safe travels for everyone on their way home i thank you father that no weapon formed against us will prosper and father i just um hey look at me for a minute okay look at me for a minute right the lord's been stirring this in my heart and um, he just prompted me because I knew it was a word for some people at the foundry in my morning classes this week. Um, but the Lord just wants me to remind you 
that he really enjoys restoring things in your life, okay? He really, really enjoys doing that, okay? Um, my mom and dad bought a little park bench. It's for toddlers, and it's in pretty rough shape, but it's got a uh, jungle scene in cast iron on the back of it, and so um, dad knows I love to restore things, and, uh, and so I'm going to restore that uh, for the grandkids, um, the great-grandkids. And, uh, and so anyway, it's like the Lord reminded me Monday morning early. He said, you know how you're excited about restoring that and, and you already kind of get in your mind what you're going to do and how you're going to do it? I was like, he, says, he goes, you get that from me. He said, I enjoy, I enjoy restoring things in people's lives. Tell my people, tell my children that I'm wanting to restore some things in their lives. Are you ready? This week. This week. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we receive... We believe that we receive restoration. Lord, in family situations, in financial situations. Lord, in things that have, have been lost or, or, or missing. or Lord, things that maybe we've forgotten about that we prayed for years ago. Lord, I, whatever the case. Lord, we believe that we receive the gift of your grace called restoration into our lives, into our families, into our finances, into our situations, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, you're loved. If nobody's told you that today, have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday morning, if not before. I didn't announce it, but remember, a week from this Sunday is going to be our anniversary picnic. Good things coming.